Well, good morning. I wonder how many people here have had the privilege of at some stage receiving a legacy. Just, just, give, me a, just give me a wave. Not, well, yeah, the coming out of the woodwork now, more and more just uh, sort of confessing to that. Receiving a legacy is an amazing thing. There's been twice in my life when I've received or been party to receiving substantial legacies. Uh, once when an elderly, uh, distant family member died and left my late wife a substantial sum of money, it enabled us to leave Scotland and for me to take up a job in London. If that legacy hadn't been there, I don't know how we would have been able to afford housing in London because we were living in a church manse in Glasgow. Uh, and then when we were planning to come, Ruth and I, to uh, Bridge North here, we, we were, our house was on the market and we thought we'd sold it and we knew God wanted us to come to Bridge North and uh, then our buyers pulled out and we thought, how are we going to get there? It's going to take a long time. And then my father died and another legacy enabled us to buy the house we live in at the moment. Receiving a legacy is a blessing. It enables us to do things that we otherwise wouldn't be able to do. But receiving a legacy is always dependent on somebody dying. I wonder what kind of legacy would be most useful to you right now if you think about your situation, if you think about your stuckness, the kind of situation that you're in, the need to move forward in your life. What kind of legacy would actually bless you and help you to move forward? Now as Christians, the truth is we are all heirs with Christ of the riches of heaven. Peter tells us in the first chapter of his New Testament letter that we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. There's just one problem, it's not accessible to us yet. It's kept in heaven for us. Yes, it's safe. No one can touch it, but right now no one, and that includes you, no one, can touch that inheritance. Someone has to die before you come into that inheritance and that someone is you. But this morning I want us to explore a legacy to which we have immediate access. It's available to us now and it's been available to Christ followers for 2,000 years. I want you to come with me on a journey this morning through space and through time. It's Thursday night. Jesus and his disciples have shared the Passover meal together. It's nearly time for them to go to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will pray, where his three close associates will fall asleep and where Judas Iscariot will betray him with a kiss. Tomorrow Friday, Jesus will be executed by crucifixion. And knowing all these things, Jesus gives his disciples a legacy, a resource which will sustain them through the pain of bereavement, through the agony of being without him. What is Jesus' legacy to his disciples? And that includes you and me. It is his peace. In prophecy, 700 years before his birth in Bethlehem, Isaiah tells us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and Jesus has demonstrated his personal peace on a number of occasions. An uncanny storm on the Sea of Galilee, which has seasoned fishermen crying out for their mothers. Where is Jesus at the height of the storm? He's sleeping like a baby at perfect peace. 
And on the very Thursday night when Jesus announced his legacy of peace to his disciples, he demonstrates perfect peace in the chaos of Gethsemane when the temple guard comes to arrest him, when an agitated Jesus betrays him with a kiss and a hot-headed Peter slices off the ear of a young man called Malchus. Imagine he got his name in the Bible for no other reason than that Peter sliced off his ear. Oh, and that Jesus put it back on again. And as Jesus is arrested, the disciples scatter in fear. What's gone wrong? Jesus has bequeathed them the legacy of his peace, but terror reigns. Must they wait until he's dead before they can own this legacy and activate it in their own lives? Certainly after his resurrection, Jesus says to his disciples on several occasions, peace be with you. Or could it be the situation that Jesus has given his gift and the disciples have neglected to receive it? In the midst of chaos, Jesus is at peace. And over these weeks on Sunday mornings, we're looking at Christian attitude. We've been looking a little bit of fruits of the Spirit at love. We're looking at peace today. We'll be looking at other ones. John last week was talking about godliness. We're talking about what it is like to be a Christian, what it's supposed to be like to be a Christian. And one of the Christian attitudes that's gifted to us by Jesus is his Peace. I found that a particularly helpful passage, the one that Rachel read, where Jesus says to his disciples, in the knowledge of his death the next day, I'm going away, but I give you a legacy, I give you a gift, I give you my peace. I found that incredibly helpful when visiting bereaved families. I found that incredibly helpful in funeral services to read those words and say, if we're willing to receive it, Jesus offers his peace. Very helpful in a time of bereavement, but very helpful at any time. And this is not just any old peace. Our passage tells us this peace is different from the peace which the world gives. What's the peace which the world gives? False hope. It'll be all right on the night. Don't worry, be happy. Peace, absence of hassle. Get off my case, go away, leave me in peace. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah castigates false prophets for proclaiming peace, peace, where there was no peace. And often in everyday terms, as the world understands peace, peace refers to the absence of something, the absence of war, the absence of conflict. Yet Jesus offers a peace which is different from the peace that the world offers. This peace isn't simply the absence of conflict. This peace is a character trait. This peace can be experienced at the height of conflict, in the fullness of the storm. Some have argued that when Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves on Galilee, his peace be still was addressed not only to the natural elements or even the supernatural disturbance on the lake, his peace be still was addressed to the hearts of fearful disciples. This peace is different from the peace that the world gives and it's our legacy from Jesus. It's available to us. It's available to us right now. And this piece is associated with the Holy Spirit. The passage we read from John 14 refers to the Holy Spirit as our advocate. An advocate is someone who speaks on our behalf. He pleads our case. If he's on the job, 
Our hearts can be at peace. There is no finer, more skilled, or better qualified advocate than the Holy Spirit, and he speaks on our behalf. He pleads our case before the Father, who, by the way, as we've just been singing, is also for us. He's a good, good Father. And peace is a flavor of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. John Farron last week as he was preaching on godliness said that the fruit of the Spirit is what we have, not the fruits, the fruit, not the fruits. I, I asked at our home group the other night, did anybody remember a drink called Umbongo? Give me a wave if you remember. Umbongo, they drink it in the Congo. That was, the, that was the strap line in the advertisement those days. It's a bit like the gift that keeps on giving. You know, Umbongo, they drink it in the Congo. The thing about that was, it was many flavored. There were many different fruit juices in there. When you drank Umbongo, you got the lot in one go. And the fruit of the Spirit means that we receive from the Holy Spirit the package, not just individual fruits. But we're looking at one of the individual fruits mentioned as part or a flavor of the fruit of the Spirit today, and that is peace. Perhaps you don't remember Umbongo, perhaps you've been wine tasting or read the label on the back of a bottle of wine and said, a little hint of citrus, a little sniff of chocolate. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> fruit of the Spirit, one fruit, nine flavors. Romans 8, 6 says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So we believe in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I remember uh, Sandy Miller, who was the vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton, where the uh, Alpha course came from, was telling a story one day about uh, going into a school and uh, putting kids through their paces in saying the words of the creed, which we sometimes sing but wouldn't often say in our church. And it's, I believe in God the Father, I believe in this, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. And when it got to the Holy Spirit, there was absolute silence. And uh, Sandy or whoever was taking the, the class looked around and says, what's happened? He said, oh, the boy who believes in the Holy Spirit isn't here today, but, but we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and peace is a flavor of the fruit of the Spirit. So if we believe in the Holy Spirit, and we believe the Holy Spirit indwells us, then the fruit of the Spirit is within us, ready to come out. This peace, which is a flavor of the fruit of the Spirit, is associated with hearing and heeding Jesus' words. He told his disciples in advance the gist of what would happen to him, but they, wouldn't want, they didn't want to hear it, and they disregarded it. Evangelist Billy Graham is credited with saying, I've read the end of the book. We win! <laughs> and if we lived in that knowledge, then we'd be more likely to experience peace. If we hear and heed the words of Jesus, then we're more likely to have peace in our hearts. Here's the truth. Jesus gives us peace. It's our responsibility as to how we access it and make use of it. If you receive a legacy... You can put it all in the bank and just leave it there to gain interest and do nothing with it. Or you can actually spend some of it and make use of it. You can access it. You can make it work for you 
here and now. Jesus gives peace. It's our responsibility as to how we access it and make use of it. Our series is on Christian character. Therefore, our focus this morning is on peace as a trait of Christian character. We're not thinking this morning particularly about peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not thinking international or political peace, although I did see on Facebook this morning that today is World Peace Sunday. Not a lot of people know that, but you know that. Uh, Now, we're concentrating very specifically on personal peace. Again, last Sunday morning, John Farron defined godliness as becoming like Jesus. So our model for the character trait of peace is Jesus. How can we know the peace which Jesus knew and experienced in difficult circumstances? Does it come naturally? If peace is a flavor of the fruit of the Spirit, can we simply assume that because we are indwelt by the Spirit of God that peace will inevitably be evident in our lives? I guess we would love to think so. Although as I've tried my hand at growing fruit bushes and trees, I realize that though apples grow on apple trees because the tree is an apple tree, and blueberries grow on a blueberry bush because the garden center label says blueberry, These plants would produce more fruit, healthier fruit, better fruit, if I cultivated them in the appropriate way, by weeding, by pruning, by watering, by feeding. How then do we encourage the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? When we read the Bible, we find several instructions or clues to activating the peace, which is already ours by gift of God. And here is one clue, and it's prayer. Philippians 4, 6 to 7, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We were just singing peace so unexplainable. Somebody needs to tell him the English word's inexplicable, but we'll give it poetic license and all of that. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Who remembers the hymn? Who remembers any hymn? Who remembers the hymn? What a friend we have in Jesus. Do you remember that? Older people do. If you remember that hymn, you'll remember the line, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry. Thank you very much. Are you worried about stuff? then present it to the Lord in prayer. And the promised consequence is this, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. This isn't peace as the world gives, this peace defies human understanding. It's not to be understood, it's to be received. Here's a second clue to activating this peace. And it's trust, we go way back into the Old Testament to Isaiah 26. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Not a lot more to say. Perfect peace comes as the direct result of trusting God. Here's a third clue, and it's resolution or determination. Psalm 4 verse 8, in peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. We've got to decide to lie down in peace. Dismiss all those negative thoughts, dismiss all those things which are saying different things and determine to will that the peace which is inside us as a legacy of Jesus, as a flavor of the fruit of the Holy Spirit comes to the fore and allows us, for example, that good night's sleep. Here's a fourth one. We might not like this one quite so much. 
It's submission. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it reign in your life. Submit to it. Allow it to take over. Allow it to express itself. And as people experiencing and exhibiting the character trait of peace, we're to put it into practice in relation to others. In my 30 years in Scotland, I picked up so many expressions. I don't know whether I got them there or whether I got them in Liverpool before that or whether I've got them along the way. And Ruth picks me up on these things all the time. So for example, last week, when I was feeling really ill and couldn't come and listen to John preach, I was stapid foo. Do you know stapid foo, Graham? It's not just a five expression. I was stapid foo with the cold. Aye. But there's two other expressions. I think they're Scottish expressions. She could cause a row in an empty house. Is that a Scottish expression? She could cause a row. Notice it's she. She could cause a row in an empty house. Or the other one, he's always on the face of a battle. I want to say that is not evidence of the character trait of peace because children of God, that's us, if we're born again of the Spirit, children of God are to be known as peacemakers. Jesus said in the passage on the Sermon on the Mount that we call the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Notice it's peacemakers, not peacekeepers. It strikes me that one of the most contradictory word associations is found in the expression peacekeeping forces. Simply an oxymoron. You cannot force someone to be peaceable because peace is a characteristic of the heart and the mind. We're not to be peacekeepers, we're to be peacemakers. Look at Romans 12, 18, if it's possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Romans 14, 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We're to be peacemakers, we're to be known as people of peace. I wonder how we're known as Christians in the town of Bridge North. Are we irrelevant? Are we seen as irritants? I guess I'd rather be an irritant than irrelevant, but ideally we should be neither. Jeremiah addressing the people of God in a situation like ours where we're not the majority or even the most influential group in our society passed this word on from Almighty God to exiled people also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Can we be known as people who seek the peace of Bridge North? Oh, one last point about peace this morning. It's so easy to regard peace as a platitude. Do you remember the old Miss World competition with Eric Morley in his dinner suit and all of that? Do you, do you remember what would happen when they went along the line and they interviewed all the contestants? And if you became Miss World, uh, what would you like to happen? Oh, I'd like to travel and world peace. It was a platitude. Yeah, like world peace. Peace is to be practical and not merely a platitude. James said in his epistle, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, 
What good is it? So, if we've been bequeathed peace as a legacy from Jesus, if we've been given peace as part of the fruit of the Spirit because the Spirit indwells us, then we have to do something about it and we have to bless other people with it. Peace is our legacy from Jesus. Have we received have we pursued it in prayer by trusting in resolution, by submitting to the reign of Christ in our hearts and minds? Are we peacemakers? Are we seeking the peace of Bridge North? How many of you here are familiar with the practice of passing the peace? Give me, give me a wave if that's the case. Passing the peace. Something that's very familiar in some other Christian traditions. My brother-in-law was brought up in a Baptist church, born and bred, and when he was working in Oxford, he went to charismatic Anglican church in old dates. And uh, there was a part in the service where we said, now we're going to pass the peace. And a woman came to him and said, the peace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And he said, pleased to meet you too. Because he hadn't a clue, he didn't know. Another family member who'd grown up in a Baptist church went to a Catholic funeral and they passed the peace in the middle of the service and everybody was shaking hands so she thought the service was over and went outside for a smoke. <laughs> so we can get confused about the idea of passing the peace but I hope we wouldn't be confused this morning if we say that uh, if we belong to Jesus he's gifted us his peace and that peace is for passing on. So I'm going to ask us to stand just now, if that's all right, Mark. Could you stand if you're able? And, and sometimes when I've been in services where they pass the peace, everybody goes around and sort of hugs or shakes hands with everybody, and it's very sort of, yeah, over very quickly and very sort of almost like going through the motions. So I, I'd just like to ask us today to be open to God's Spirit and uh, just to move about a little bit if we can and just to 